Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Menas. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett. Paul, Happy New Year. How are you? G'day, Menas. Happy New Year. Well, um, I'm exhausted, delightedly exhausted, but... We went through the winter sometimes doing this podcast and there wasn't a lot of cricket to talk about. And suddenly in the space of how long is it since our last one, six or seven days, we could probably go for about 12 hours if we wanted to, I reckon. <laughs> there is a lot of cricket news swirling around. And in this episode, we're going to review the MCG test. We're going to preview the SCG test. And then we're going to have a chat about the Big Bash. And we've also got a ton of listener questions that have been saved up over our little break. So we've got all that to come. And uh, let's just get straight off with the sort of news. As we record this, it's uh, Monday the 4th of January. And there's been a lot of speculation about will the GABA test go ahead? Will they even make it to Sydney with the COVID outbreak? Um, my understanding now is, Paul, that... Things have kind of settled down in the last 24 hours. The Indians probably will go to the Gabba and they will be able to move around their hotel with a bit more freedom than they were told. And the SCG test will go ahead, but the crowds certainly could be dramatically limited as we approach the beginning of the game. Well, if ever there's been a podcast that could go out of date very quickly, it might be this one because this has been moving so quickly. By the time this goes to air, we'll probably find that the, the last two tests are at the Wacker and uh, Bell Reef. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean. Uh, and that'd be great if it did that because it's been the first two tests just from the cricket have been so highly watchable and so enjoyable. And 
I've enjoyed the fact that there hasn't been much controversy and it just suddenly seemed as though there's going to be epic controversy. So if we can avoid that, it would be good in terms of uh, India going to, to Brisbane and, and, and willingly doing so. I have a lot of sympathy for the Indian cricket team. There was a lot of, um, you know, I, I guess, directed at them when they voiced their concerns about going to the Gabba. But when you consider how many of these players have been in hubs for a long time, I can see that there would be some reticence to go to Brisbane and basically be stuck in your hotel room and be ferried to the ground. And it now appears that you know, the Indian team will, you know, basically have a floor in a hotel or a couple of floors and they can move around and they can have, a, you know, a common area for all the players. So that seems to make more sense. Um, but I did have some sympathy with them um, in this situation. I see what you're saying and I, I, I could just only imagine how difficult it would be to be in uh, a bubble for a lengthy period of time. Living on the southern northern beaches as I do, we we were in lockdown for a few days um, here, and it reminded me of just how restrictive that is. And it was absolutely fine, but I, I got a faint, faint sense of what the players might be going through. Having said that, um, oh, I, I think it's a great solution if they are going to have one floor of their hotel, and if that's enough. And I think the Cricket Australia seem to have done very well because they've been balancing all manner of competing priorities. Um, it's been a little bit disappointing to see that there's been about three instances documented of the Indians uh, violating the um, agreed bubble situation in Adelaide, Derek Coley, uh, a couple of others at at another stage, and then the more recently well-documented one with um, players eating indoors. And it's like, none of this is all that serious, but you you kind of, you know, I I think you need to follow the rules. And I think that uh, I'd have a little bit more sympathy for them if they'd been, you know, following the laws, the rules to the letter of the law up until now. Yeah, that's those photos of the Indian team eating inside a restaurant in Melbourne did, did not look great, but, but I guess it sort of highlights the difference between something like AFL where they have complete control over the players and, you know, Cricket Australia where they're dealing with a, a touring team that are governed by their own board. So we'll see what happens about that. Other news coming out of the Australian squad uh, just before we went to to recording was that James Pattinson has been ruled out of the Sydney test. He has some bruised ribs because he fell over uh, while he was on leave um, from the Melbourne hub. So he will not be available for the Sydney test. Not that I think he was going to play, but now he definitely won't play. All right. Forgotten forgotten man, because at another time he'd be Australia's leading quick. He just come up against the, an all-time great side. It's, it's pretty pretty unlucky for him. Just before we move on, just I, I just in terms mm. of the SCG test and the crowd, um, who knows what they're going to announce in the next couple of days, but I, I just think it is a mistake to have a crowd. In all likelihood, it won't become a super spreader event, but there's a chance that it will do. Um, whatever that chance is, I think that is too much of a risk and a risk not worth taking. And I think that it's... Um, it's disappointing that Cricket Australia haven't stepped in and said, no, we're not going to have a crowd, but you can't really blame them. They're a commercial sort of entity. It's really disappointing that the state government or the federal government hasn't stepped in and said, listen, um, we all want the test match to have a crowd, but this year we're going to have to go with that one. Mm. I'm surprised that Cricket Australia have been so um, keen to continue to play the test at Sydney. They're taking a big risk. The numbers haven't spiked in Sydney, the COVID numbers. So I think they'll be able to hold the test match uh, with a small crowd, but 
it's, it's it's a huge um risk for, that they've taken and if something does happen it's going to look really bad on cricket australia if they cause an outbreak and, and i just might have been safer to stay in melbourne and then from there head straight to brisbane and avoid um new south wales that has you know a lot of travel restrictions placed upon people leaving the state so yeah i'm surprised they've gone down this route but you know you just cannot uh, forget how powerful New South Wales cricket is, um, broadly speaking, and I think they wielded that power and, and they will still hold the test. And I guess it's not without the realms. You say how quickly this could date. Well, we might get two test matches in Sydney if the Queensland government really puts the foot down and and does decide to impose heavy restrictions on the Indian team, then uh, we could see back-to-back test matches at the G. At the SAG. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we could, although, um, as you say, if they, if they are happy to go to Brisbane, maybe that's less likely, but certainly a, a possibility. I just think that, um, that there's no way they can make it safe that you have uh, a day where it rains and everyone's got to huddle under the shelter or you have one person going to the toilet block who happens to have the virus in there. You know, we've, we've seen the men's toilets at the SCG during the a test match. It's, um, it's so, sort of a scene out of, <laughs> scene out of hell. Um, you know, hundreds of people in there uh, drinking. They'll probably not be wearing masks. The virus is floating around. You just need one or two things to go wrong, and it could be a, a disaster. As I said, unlikely, but I don't think the risk is worth taking. Yeah, uh, the the restrictions say at the moment the SCG can have 24,000 people there. But if they were to say, look, have just, say, three or 4,000 people there, um, I think that will be fairly safe and at least you don't have that sort of deathly silence you have when there's nobody there. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think three or 4,000 would, would be better, but if it was me, I'd say as much as I don't like the silence, it's better than the alternative. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Our, our first headline segment of 2021, Paul. How exciting. Indeed. Um, and, and just if you're listening, you're wondering, we're actually recording this podcast on Zoom again. Um, just uh, we'll be back in studio soon, um, but we're still sort of on holidays and Paul's coming out of a hot spot. So, um, yeah, we'll just, um, we'll, we're doing this one on Zoom, as you may have noticed. Um, and Jaleesa's is not here. She's on holiday still. So um, we'll have to track her down. All right, let's get into the review of the MCG test ball. Wow, what an astonishing comeback by India. Broadly speaking, you have to say it was a a really unforgettable performance by them. Yeah, magnificent. Up there with one of their uh, greatest wins in in Australia because although they've started to get into the habit of winning in Australia in the last few years, historically they have very, very rarely won here. Um, You know, they went even just recently – they went a decade without a single test win here. So uh, given that so many people had written them off, uh, a magnificent win and one that the series really needed. Yeah, and after being bowled out for 36, just an astonishing comeback. All right, so some issues out of it. Joe Burns made a duck and four runs in the MCG test and he has been axed from the test squad. My thing about his performance at the MCG was he looked horribly out of touch. He gave a lot of chances and... In the end, I guess they had no choice. Yep. When you're out of form and then against Jasper Boomer and, and that Indian attack, plenty of players have struggled against them. Yeah, it was it was sad to watch. And uh, Australia dropped eight catches in the Test match, Paul. And I, I haven't seen Australia 
feel that badly for a long, long time. And and you look at the way the result finished out. I mean, they they gave Rahane some chances. It was it was just a, a, pr- a pretty poor fielding performance, and you know, cost Australia the game. And you know, it's sort of almost the reverse in the first Test match. I think India dropped seven catches, and they made a big difference. Well, it went the other way at the MCG. Definitely. I mean, some of them were quite difficult. Three or four that you could just sort of say, well, they would have been a bonus if they'd been caught. I felt sorry for the Travis Head one. I think <laughs> it's a, a weird one that he ran in, caught it cleanly, and then he's seemingly a long gap before his elbows collided with the ground and he dropped it. That was a pretty embarrassing one. What was embarrassing was all the commentators saying, oh, you pay that, Mark, idiots. Oh, mate, we could have an entire segment on um, AFL references to, in the cricket. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not surprised they said that because that's, that would have got paid in AFL. <laughs> um, so Coley's replacement, Ajinki Rihane, made 112 and he held the innings together and just just a phenomenal performance when you consider you know, he ran out Virat Coley in the first test match. He, he took over the captaincy, India's backs to the wall, and he, he played a special innings and he really showed what Australia was missing, that, that sort of steal in the middle order. Well, I mean, when you think of it, that however many hundreds of millions of Indians out of their 1.3 or 1.4 billion were following this series, and there would have been plenty, and he didn't look like he felt it. Like, he just seems like such an unflappable character. Yeah, even though was, we were on the wrong end of it, you had to admire it and, um, and celebrate it. Now, just looking at the Australian batting order, Cameron Green made 45 off 146 balls in the second innings. And, and my observation is, much like Greg Chappell's, that... He does look like a natural test cricketer. He's got a beautiful technique. He seems very calm and composed at the crease. And I almost think he looks more at home than, say, someone like Travis Head. Yeah, I think that uh, without having yet delivered massively in terms of numbers, Green has looked really good. His bowling in the brief periods that he's bowled has looked threatening and his batting looked really good. Up against this Indian side, that's tough, tough batting. So if you can get a, a really hard 45 of them, you'd think that against a friendlier opposition, then he should really be able to cash in. And as for Travis said, I'd drop him with with regret because I I like him and I think he's a good player and I was starting to think that he could be a, a fixture in the Australian middle order for years to come. But I think if I was the selector at the moment and if Pekovsky and, and Warner, and I know it's a big if, but if both of them were available, I'd say uh, it's time for him to be squeezed out at the moment. A lot of the sort of batting experts, the technicians, look at Travis Head and have real concerns about his lack of footwork and also his propensity to just sort of play at that ball a good length outside off stump just to sort of throw the bat at it. And we've seen him be caught behind a lot or in the gully. It, it seems like that's an issue. He needs to go away and spend a bit of time playing first-class cricket and sort of sort that out. Maybe. I... I... Whenever I think of techniques of batting, I look at my own technique, which was just so terrible. I just don't feel like I can ever talk about someone else's technique. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I was, I was a, I was a former cricket coach, so you can leave that to me. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, other speaking of batting techniques, Steve Smith and Manus Labuschagne have been kept quiet by the Indian tactic of attacking the stumps and and setting. I would say defensive field. So they've sort of got a ring field on the leg side to take out the singles and the boundaries from Smith and Labuschagne. And we've also seen them both caught around the corner a couple of times or once each. So how do you think that's going for the Indian? It seems to be 
working? I think it's really fascinating uh, because I remember in, in England in 2019 watching and bewildered how they would put deep men out on the leg side boundary right at the start of Smith's innings. And he was in a totally defensive mindset and he would just get singles off the hip all day and allowed him to get into the innings easily. And I just kept on thinking, that's crazy. So the fact that this is now being blocked up, um, Ricky Ponting made a really interesting point about it. And he said something to the effect of sometimes against the best bowlers, you have to take more risks against the lesser bowlers. You can just sit back and wait for the bad ball. And I think that's something that the Australian players need to think about that. Sometimes I think Smith and Labuschagne have gone out there and thought, well, if we bat time, we will score runs. And that's, that's normally what happens. And then, after a while, when the runs weren't coming, I mean, Smith got um, faced 38 balls uh, in the test match for eight runs. It, it's crazy that he's the same guy that a few weeks before cracked two consecutive centuries off 60-odd balls against this side. Now, obviously, one-day cricket and test cricket are obviously very different, but they're not that different. And I, I think that he needs to take a, uh, a leaf out of Ponting's book and go out there with much more um, judicious aggression in, in the next test match, and so does Labuschagne. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think, and I'm, Ponting's obviously you know, very, very knowledgeable. And you're right, you cannot just sit back and let good bowlers dominate. But India are trying to frustrate Smith and Labuschagne and, and win the patient, patience game. And we saw, say, last time India were here, Pujara, Australia tried to win the patience game with him. And he just just kept going. He just didn't fall for any tricks. He didn't try and change his game. So I think there has to be some calculated sort of adaption of their techniques. And and Labuschagne has spoken uh, to the media in the last few days and said that he in particular is working out ways to counter it. But also you have to accept that there might be some some tough sessions in, in, in the test matches coming up where they just try to, wear down the Indian attack? Yeah, I, I just think in general, the notion that in test cricket, you've got to put away your shots and, and play like Pajara. Uh, I think that more often than not, that's the wrong thing to do. And that I think that Pajara's performance this time two years ago was an exception. And he's, it hasn't worked for him this time around at all. Um, I, I think that in general, you, you've got to have an attacking mindset and then occasionally allow yourself to be um, slowed down. Whereas if you go too far the defensive route, um, you know, you get the occasional exception like Jeff Boycott, but most of the time I, I think that's a recipe for failure. And I think that also Australia on that final day, what turned out to be the final day, um, they had an opportunity to really scare India. And I, I think although you have to acknowledge that Green and, and Cummins had the highest partnership of the Australian innings, they were just scoring far too slowly on that final day. They were never going to get to a point batting in that way that they were going to be able to post a total that would threaten uh, India. And when Stark came out and, and did the same thing, uh, I just think that was um, tactically wrong from the Australians. They needed to say, we've got to go out, play our shots. If we get a little bit of luck, we might suddenly start to really scare India. They'll put the field back and we could get a decent lead. We probably won't. We'll probably nick off and get out. But that's the only way we can win this game. We're not going to win it. The way they were playing, they would have had to bat the entire day to, to get a, a total that they were going to be able to defend. And that was never going to happen. Yeah, I think in that case they were trying to wear down the attack because India were a bowler short. So there was a feeling they would... That was was to India's advantage that they lost their bowler. I mean, Umesh Yadav's a decent bowler, but he's their worst. Um, And it was uh, every over that Ashwin and Jadeja bowled instead of Umesh Yadav was to India's strength. Um, 
you know, if they were trying to wear the attack down on the basis of the fact that they weren't going to have to um, face their third best bowler, that, that's crazy talk. Um, there's no way you can win playing that way. All right, moving on. Ravi Ashwin, speaking of the Indian bowlers, he took a total of five wickets at the MCG test. And he's, he's sort of historically struggled in Australia, but in this series, he's, he's been bowling well. And so far, he's certainly, certainly outbowled Nathan Lyon. He's winning the off-spinning contest by a long way. Yeah, it's interesting because he, he did struggle uh, badly in his early tours, although the last tour, the one test he played, he, he played pretty well. I think that what's happened in these first two tests is that there's been a um, more an offer for the bowlers than there have been in a lot of test matches in Australia in the past. And I think it's worth mentioning, I think the MCG pitch was fantastic. Um, we have uh, bagged the MCG pitch a lot on, on this show with good reason. I think it's been a disgrace in recent years. I think it was a, a highly watchable game. And I, I think that uh, full credit to, to the ground staff at the MCG, a magnificent job. Yeah, I agree. Great pitch. Now, Paul, there has been some feedback that you predicted this series would be won by Australia for nil. Um, clearly, that's out the, the window now. Uh, I'll be looking at you to make some comments, but I'd also like to go on record that I predicted India to win this series 2-1, but it was for some reason edited out of a, a previous podcast. Maybe Paul was worried that it would be banned, bad for the brand of the podcast. Um, so, look... I just want to put that on record. All right. Now, firstly, I edited it out because there was some audio. It was, it was just, it was nothing like that. But when I sent you a message saying I've edited it out, you replied saying, good, it was a stupid prediction or something like that. You were pleased that it missed the cut. So that has to go on record. <laughs> and secondly, I predicted so many different score lines in so many different um, mediums, like media on Twitter and various different things. I can find somewhere where I've said the right thing. <laughs> Five different places where I've said the wrong thing as well. Um, I yeah. I, if you if you go back and listen to the audio, I, I said I predicted Australia four nil ages ago, and now I'm um, I want to back away from it, but out of loyalty to my old view, I'm going to stick with it. And then that was stupid, and I, I wish that I hadn't. One thing that I did do to to talk myself up is I made the point before this test that everyone saying that India had no chance were were missing the point, and that if anything, their side had been strengthened relative to the first test. They dropped Shaw and brought in Gill. Um, Gill averages 69 in first-class cricket, Shaw 51. Pant for Saha, 49 versus 42. Even Shami for Siraj. Shami's first-class average of 27 and Siraj is of 23. Um, and then finally, even Coley uh, being dropped, for, being omitted because he was going, going home and, and Jadeja brought in. Coley's first-class average of 57. Jadeja's is 47 and Jadeja averages 24 with the ball. If you were from another planet and you're just looking at the stats, you'd say all four of those have strengthened the side. Now, have strengthened the side. Obviously, I'm not saying removing Coley did. But if you look at that holus bolus, um, India were a better side going into the second test and there's no reason why they couldn't win. Yeah, I uh, made an international news media appearance on Christmas Day on Al Jazeera, as you know, Paul, because I sent you the link. Uh, but uh, I said on that, and I've said it in the build-up to the MCG test, that you've got to be careful when teams lose as badly as India did in that first test because it, it, it's very common that you'll get a bounce back because of you know, the fuel of the shame and the disappointment and also the ability to go, oh, we just had one 
bad couple of hours. Um, you sort of can put it out, throw it out. So I'm not surprised they came back and played well. I'm sort of surprised how badly Australia batted more, uh, but certainly not surprised India bounced back. I, I think that on the whole, they're two roughly evenly matched sides. And the fact that India got so smashed in the first test erroneously caused people to say, oh, that's it, they're gone. And, you know, all this talk of their spirit will be broken. And there's so many intangibles given too much credit in cricket that ultimately um, they're, they're two sides that are pretty similarly matched. Uh, India had the better of things in the um, in the second test. And quite honestly, they had, the, had the better of things in the first two days of the first. It was just, as you say, just one small session that, that lost it for them. It's interesting as well that Australia have been set out as strong favourites in the third test at the, at the SCG. Australia may well win the third test, and if I had to put my life on it, Australia or India, I'd probably just put it on Australia. But uh, India's every chance of winning a third test as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they'll be playing at the SCG with, you would think, some assistance to the spin bowlers, an area where India have done well. But we'll get there in a second. Before I want Before the SCG test... Here's a quote from Paul Dennett regarding the Channel 7 cricket coverage. It's comfortably the best commentary team across all four Aussie broadcasters, in my opinion. Please explain, Paul Dennett. These first two tests I have watched on Channel 7 much more than I've watched Channel 7's coverage in in any time since they've had the rights. And I have been really pleasantly surprised. Ponting is superb. Tim Lane has always been one of my favourites, and it's great to hear him again regularly. And Alison Mitchell is superb as well. Those three, I think, would um, they're as good as anyone anywhere in the world. Gavaskar, when he's not commentating under a BCCI-affiliated broadcast, I think he's a much better commentator as well. I think he's really good as well. And they are the four that are the, the linchpins of the broadcast. Now, the rest of them, Slater and Blewett, uh, Fleming, Brayshaw. I know a lot of people don't like Brayshaw, but those four... They don't offend me. Uh, they, they're quite okay. I very rarely need to reach for the mute button when any of them are on. And so I just think I've been delighted by the Channel 7 coverage. Our friend Peter Lawler's been on there a bit. Um, Copeland does a good job as well. I think all in all, I, I've been very, very impressed by them. And I've, I've um, surprisingly so. I actually haven't watched much of the Channel 7 coverage, just practically. I don't think I even have my uh, antenna plugged in because I've got Foxtel. So I've been watching the the Fox cricket coverage, um, which has been fine. It has sort of shades of the old Channel 9 um, feel to it. And I I do feel like there's too much Shane Warne. I think that at some point his act just gets a bit tired. And I, I don't think he's called to account much on the coverage. I think it would be fun if people really, um, you know, played with him a bit because, you know, he's, he's a character, but he, he, he says some crazy stuff. What I'd like most out of Shane Warne would be if he was on a, a show after the day's play where it was for nerds only and if they said to him, just go out there and analyse the day without trying to make any jokes. I wouldn't always agree with what he says, but I think he'd be similar to Michael Vaughan from when he does that in England, that I just find him a really good barometer and uh, concise, uh, sometimes opinionated, or always opinionated and intelligent, even if I disagree with it. Uh, I, I find, I'd find that highly good watching. At his mm-hmm. best, Vaughan is the best commentator, but when he's at his worst, he's close to the worst, and he just oscillates between the two. That sometimes, <laughs> yeah, It sometimes gets a bit annoying. 
it's like my podcasting. Uh, it's interesting you say that about um, warning after play because they've been doing cricket 360 this summer again. And for the first two years that Fox had the coverage, it was uh, Robert Craddock and Jared Waitley um, hosting Cricket 360. And I love that because those two are just very good journalists and can really nut down on the stories. But I'm not sure if this is due to COVID, which it probably is because I'm not sure these guys are travelling. But um, Cricket 360 is usually Howie with Warney and somebody else. Um, so that's changed. And to me it feels like... Um, by that stage, you're just getting recycled opinions. So, uh, you know, Warren and the commentators have been doing it all day. They've said their feelings about the play and they kind of just regurgitate them at the end of the play, whereas when it was Crash and Waitley, you would kind of get a fresh view. Yeah, and um, that's what I like, Crash and Waitley and Warren, but Warren not having been in the box all day. All right, um, Matt Weiss, if you're listening, head of Fox Cricket. There are I'm notes. Sure, I'm sure they're going to sack Warnie on our Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like 25K a day or something he gets paid. Um, all right. Let's move on and um, preview the Sydney Cricket Ground Test Match. So much to talk about. So much to talk about. The first one is David Warner. Now, he was asked a very good question by Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun, who was on uh, the show just before Christmas about, you know, will Warner be able to back up um, for the, the fourth test, considering it's only a few days after the third test. And, and Warner was very non-committal about whether his groin will uh, be at a stage where he can play the third test and then back up a few days later. So we might have Warner one and done, plays in Sydney, but needs to sit out the next game. I'd find that weird. Um, I think that if he's not good enough to play, then he can't play. What's to stop him becoming unable to walk halfway through the game? And then we'd have to get someone to throw a ball at his head to get a concussion stuff. Now, who do you think will open with him um, in, if, um, if he does play? You know, they could leave Matt Wade there. They could bring in Will Pekofsky. Um What would you do? I'd bring in Pekofsky and drop head. I'd probably open with Warner and Pekofsky and then just go um, Labashe and Smith, Wade and Green. But if they, were, if they wanted to put Pekofsky at five and open with Wade, that'd be fine by me as well. Yeah, there's been some talk about whether uh, they should risk Pekofsky after the, the concussion and the, the blow to the head in the lead-up. But I, my feeling is that if he's been cleared medically to play, I actually think it's time to just get Pekofsky's test debut out of the way. Uh, he's had a couple of goes at it over the last two years and he's been pulled out just prior to the games. So I would say third time lucky, but not just like, let's just get him in there now. He's a, he's a super talent. All this waiting and speculation is probably doing more damage than um, any benefit at the moment. So um, see what he can do at test level. If he's if he's good enough and he can handle the short ball, we'll find out pretty quickly because India, uh, they'll target his they'll target his Australian badge on his helmet. They'll be like, all right, well, you know, you're playing, no no favors here, and and I don't think that's a problem. Let's see. Oh, I definitely agree that they should pick him, but not because it's to get his debut out of the way. I don't care about his debut. Um, I I want him picked because I think he's in the best six batsmen for Australia in terms of his safety. Then, as you say, that's something that's up to the medical staff. If they've approved and said that he's fine to play, then he gets selected on merit or not selected on merit. And I think on merit, he gets in the side. Uh, as for his long-term health, 
if he's going to be, you know, you would assume if he keeps on playing high-level cricket, he's going to get more concussions. Hopefully that's something that very good doctors and he are discussing and working out what needs to be done there. But, uh, yeah, I pick him. Yeah. Matt Wade spoke to the media yesterday and I jumped on that and uh, had a listen to what he had to say. And, yeah, he seems pretty confident Warner will play. He also sort of hinted that, you know, he might stay at the top or he could move to the middle. Uh, but there was also some mild, um, mild sort of um, notion that he's, Wade's not going to get left out after his performances this summer. He's, he's a makeshift opener, but he's, he's looked okay. Yeah, I don't understand why there's been talk that he would be left out. Um, he's looked good. And, uh, but I, again, I wouldn't pick him out of loyalty. People saying, oh, you know, he's put up his hand to open the batting and therefore you can't get rid of him. And look, you know, you pick your best six. Yeah, I would definitely not be dropping Wade. Exactly. And I guess the other player to consider is Marcus Harris. Uh, if, if the selectors are really concerned about Australia's middle order and they think head's sort of got to come out and we want to put Wade at five, just gives a bit of steel there, then... Uh, I guess Pekofsky or Harris could come in and open with Warner. Now, my reports are that Pekofsky has been put through the rigors in the nets in the lead up uh, to this match to make sure he's, you know, ready for the, 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 you know, aggressive fast bowling. But if he wasn't, I guess Marcus Harris is sort of smoky to come in and open with Warner. I wouldn't be picking him. He is having, a, was having a good season and I'm certainly open to him being picked in the future again, but to date, I think when you look at his overall first-class record and test record, he hasn't done enough to justify being in the squad. Uh, seems like he's worked well with uh, Chris Rogers during the off-season, and maybe he's an improved player. And if so, and if um, he, he bangs down the door with runs, I'd be delighted to have him picked. But at the moment, I can't have him in the side. All right. So I guess we're both saying the, the favourite really is probably Warner Pekofsky to open with Wade going to the middle order, head to miss out. That's my sort of early favourite. Or Warner just comes in, Burns yeah. goes out, the rest stays the same. A couple of interesting stats around how poor um, Australia's batting has been of, against India of late. In January 2012, Ponting scored a, a double century against India. Since that time, so since January 2012, Steve Smith personally has scored more centuries than every other Australian put together against India. Smith scored seven, the rest of Australia has scored six. And how few centuries have been scored. The last five individual Australian batsmen to score hundreds against India are Smith, Glenn Maxwell, Warner, Michael Clark, and Ricky Ponting. So mm. Ricky Ponting's still in the five most recent individual players to score centuries against India. So hopefully that can be rectified in the next couple of test matches. Obligatory reference to the fact that it was up to me. I would have Maxwell on the side. Yeah, I think um, he's, he's worth a crack, definitely. What do you think the Indians will do? Umesh Yadav has been ruled out of the series. What do you think they'll do for the test? I think it sounds like they'll probably pick um, uh, Natarajan uh, or Thakur. I think they seem to be the two um, most likely, but uh, anything's possible because they could rejig the side in other ways. I think they'll probably bring Rohit Sharma in as well. Um, and they might even bring in um, Kale Rahul. So that, you know, they could potentially bring in uh, those two for Agawal and um, Bahari. But um you made an interesting point earlier on in the one of the earlier podcasts about the potential for India going for an all-out spin attack. And I, I think that's worth considering. That Obviously, you've got to look at the pitch. And Sydney's pitches haven't been as spin-friendly as they once were. But if this one does look like it's going to take some spin, 
I think Kuldeep Yadav should be considered given that he has caused Australians a lot of trouble in the past. He's a half-decent batsman. And the three contenders for the fast bowling spot, uh, Saini and Thakur and Natarajan, they're all decent cricketers. None of them are banging down the door you wouldn't have thought to be to be picked. Saini's a solid player. Um, Thakur can bat quite well. So, you know, I think he would be my preference over Saini. And Natarajan is the... A sort of smoky there because he's someone that has come from kind of nowhere. He's come from a poor village. It's a really great feel-good story what he's been able to do. Um, and he looked pretty good in the T20 games. Um, left armour offers a bit of difference. So potentially him, he does have a batting average of two. He's got 28 runs from 14 innings in first-class cricket, which given India's tail is already pretty long, you wouldn't want someone coming in that's sort of uh, at Glenn McGrath early stage career standard. So uh, if the pitch is spin friendly, I'd be bringing in um, Kuldeep Yadav, but I don't think they're considering it. Yeah, you're right. I haven't heard them consider it, but uh, you're right. If if the pitch looks like a turner, I would say they could definitely cause some troubles with um, attacking Australia with spin. All right. Well, that is our preview of the SCG test. The series tantalisingly locked at one all. After the break, our chat about the Big Bash. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Paul. And it's time to have a little bit of a chat about the Big Bash, Paul. It's, it's sort of halfway through the, the group stage. And as we record this Monday, the 4th of January, Sydney Sixers are on top of the ladder, Thunder a second, Hurricanes a third, and the Strikers a fourth. And then you've got the Melbourne Stars fifth, Perth Scorchers sixth, Brisbane Heat seventh. And the lowly Melbourne Renegades, the collapsed specialists right down the bottom with just one win from seven games. Um, I've loved the the Big Bash um, lately, Paul. There's been some exciting finishes. Um, I've really enjoyed the extra overseas players. I think you can really see they've added to the competition and overall um, really enjoyed it. Me too. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. I've watched so much of it. Um, I don't think I can remember any single ball uh it's just gone in one ear and one out the other which may maybe is more a reflection on on my poor brain but i've been watching it uh on phones and ipads and laptops and occasionally on tv as of you know my wife and daughter are kind of trying to sort of get it off the tv and i'm getting it on i'm you know here there and everywhere but i, I think it's been really entertaining and um what exactly what it's meant to do to provide pleasurable summertime viewing and it's ticked every box for me there's been some strange scheduling in the last week or so. Um, one really good, one not so good. So on, on Boxing Day, the 26th of December, I had a day almost in heaven, Paul. It was like, you know, I've, I've been taken up to a higher place. And I watched, you know, a great first day of the MCG test. Then it rolled into a a big bash game at just after six o'clock and then around nine ish, when you're thinking the day's, you know, winding down and you might put on something on Netflix or take a break from cricket. I realized there was a, basically a nine thirty fixture on boxing day up in Queensland. So an eight thirty start there, Melbourne stars be the Sydney Sixers, which finished at about 1am Sydney time, which I absolutely loved. Me too. Me too. Um, I, I feel guilty though, that, and you should feel guilty as well, because if you'd really been into it, you could have got up a bit earlier before the Boxing Day uh, test began 
and watch two hours of New Zealand Pakistan. And then after the game finished in Brisbane, why didn't you flick across to um, Sri Lanka and South Africa? So there's always room for improvement, mate. Well, I did both. I mean, while I was having breakfast on Boxing Day, that <laughs> test was on, and I probably passed out in front of that test match um, after the. I think I messaged you at like one a.m. I'm just going to watch cricket until the second day of the Boxing Day yeah. test starts. Um, but uh, it was interesting the sort of thinking around the, this. Um, time slot uh, and I saw the ratings afterwards and actually so the game that started at six had around you know p- around a million viewers uh, for most of the game and then the second game actually had close to 700,000 people watching it for most of the game so you know that's rating pretty well and I think you know, as as viewers and, and, and fans of the game we can't say we want the big bash to be more condensed and then com- complain that they put them in funny spots because, you know, if you're going to condense the tournament, you've got to find time for these games. And, you know, late on a public holiday when the next day is also a public holiday, I think that was smart scheduling. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's certainly smarter than some of the scheduling where it seems to be games are on without out anyone ever, even knowing about them. Um, that one uh, was good and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that the commentators were all, low-level complaining about the fact that they had to still be there as well. And I thought, come on, guys, you know, you got a pretty good gig. Yeah, so I actually found that a little bit frustrating um, that they kept talking about that on the commentary. I just think, okay, we get it. It's it's a late game, but you're also in a studio in Melbourne. You know, you're probably getting a higher car home. Like, just just settle down. I mean, it wasn't that late. It wasn't like three in the morning. It, it did remind me of sometimes when baseball games in America – midweek games uh, going to extra innings and just go later and later um, had that kind of feel to it, but also didn't um, was, you know, it helped that it was a, an electric finish. I think um, Sydney Sixers needed 20 runs to win and um, they did it smashing Glenn Maxwell for 20 of that final over. So if you stayed up, you saw a, a great finish. The, the one that I didn't like though, was on December 29th that overlapping games and, uh, the Renegades v the Sixers was a Fox only game, which started around six. And then the Thunder v the Stars started around seven. And, you know, as someone who is committed to watching every Big Bash game beginning to end, th- this was, this made it slightly challenging. Yeah, I think it was, I didn't like it either, but I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll give them a pass this year. Obviously, the scheduling is crazy because of Corona and everything else. Uh, but I, I don't think it's something that they plan to have as a regular thing. Yeah, I, I give them a pass, but I will say I did um, achieve my aim. So I recorded both games on, on the different channels on Fox Sports. And then, um, you know, the only trouble I ran into was uh, in the Renegades v. Sixers game, they did give a couple of updates when the Thunder v. Stars game started. So I would run out of the room screaming so I wouldn't hear what they were talking about. Um, but I got there. So I managed to watch both games, no spoilers. Um, but I think for fans like me, it shouldn't happen again. Yeah, impressive. Um, I've, I've always said that my ability to go into a media blackout is something that I should come on, um, you know, earn some money from it, do a tutorial on how to do it. Um, I tend to answer the phone with, back in the landline days, I'd answer the phone with, don't tell me the cricket score. And no matter, it didn't matter who was ringing, that's what they'd get is my answer to the phone. So you've done well, <laughs> you've done well there. You're, you, you're, you could be a, a pupil of mine one day. Yep. Uh, well, I even I actually started 
both watching both of those games at about 10 p.m. because it was my wife's birthday. So I had to head off divorce. So I really <laughs> dug into the media blackout. Uh, any points you want to make on the Big Bash before we move on to our extensive viewer mail segment? Just how much I've enjoyed it, as I am sure a lot of people have, the batting of Oliver Davies from the Sydney Thunder. Um, when I saw his name in the team sheet, I looked his performances up on uh, my cricket and a, a T20 grade game caught my eye just from earlier this season. So he plays for Manly. They're playing St. George. St. George went up at 150 off their 20 overs. Curtis Patterson, Australian test player, scored 22 off 19. Manly got the runs off 15.2 overs. There. So they finished at two for 156. Davies opened and got 116 not out off 56. So he got 116 of the 156 runs and he only faced 56 balls. And I thought, gosh, that's impressive. And then he came out and, and batted really um, impressively in that game. And then in the next game, hit five consecutive sixes. So what an exciting talent. And we should be not averse to picking him in our T20 World Cup squad. Not saying that he should be in, but saying that we should just say, let's if he's good enough, let's get him in and not, um, and not muck around. The other player that's looked good has been um, uh, Baisley, James Baisley from the Brisbane Heat. I've been impressed by him as well. Yeah, good call on Ollie Davies. I went to the New South Wales um, cricket season launch a few months ago and Ollie was there. He spoke to us and I was speaking to a few people around the place that day and they said, watch for Ollie Davies. He's a tremendous talent. And boy, that has been proven correct. All right. What I like about him is fearless. He just went out there and started hitting sixes. Oh, so good to him. the excitement then when he was coming up to bat, it was, I haven't felt that since Adam Gilchrist, to be honest. Just that feeling of every ball might end up into the crowd. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was so good. I would put that, um, what you just said, in my category where I was comparing Will Parker to Shane Warne um, on his first um, match. So I, I, let's just call <laughs> our Jets. Let's just call our Jets on Davies. But, yeah, I agree. Great. Great potential. All right. So I put out a call on Twitter yesterday for some listener um, questions. All right. So the first bit of listener mail is from Kerwin and Kelso, who host the What's All That About podcast. Long-time listeners to this show. Great blokes. All right. They've asked, Menders and Paul, would like to hear your critique and comment on the BBL highlights that CA put on YouTube. I guess some free highlights are better than nothing, but they are so poorly done. Thoughts? Well, I hadn't seen any, and so I, before this show, went onto YouTube to sample them, and I was excited because I love to criticise, and I was like, oh, good, he's going to be hopeless, and I'm going to stick, sink, sink the boot in. Um, but I actually love them. <laughs> I thought they were fantastic. They're the highlights I've always wanted. They are seven or eight minutes with no replays, no mucking around, just wickets and fours and sixes, bang, 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 bang. It's effectively what you would get from your memory if you watch the whole show. You sort of forget the dot balls. Now, it is a bit like a machine gun watching it. You sometimes like, who's batting, who's bowling? But you, you can kind of get over that. And the, the, the views, the view count on YouTube is, is surprising. That Some of them that have only been up for a day have already had a million views. Some of them have been up for a bit longer, have been having two or three million views. I think they're done from Fox Sports. And um, so have to disagree with uh, Kerwin and Kelso. Oh, I thought they're fantastic. 
Yeah, I have to disagree as well. I think YouTube is probably the best place to watch the Cricket Australia highlights. I find the app a little bit cumbersome sometimes, but YouTube is the place to go. I guess where they're coming from is if you haven't seen the game and you're looking for like an, you know, an extended 20-minute highlights package, uh, you're not getting that. But I think that's a minor complaint. All right, so from uh, Sam uh, Lil Shiki has said, I'd like you to discuss the head Wade Pekovsky Warner selection dilemma at length, please. Well, I think we've done that, haven't we, Paul? Yes. And um, the next question's from Jose down under. Are Australian batsmen like Head Burns and Wade, etc., playing ultra defensively against India's bowlers because they are playing for their careers? I think that you could certainly say that to, to some extent that would have been the case with um, Head and Burns. Uh, but I, I think it's also a, a mindset that I disagree with. Uh, we mentioned it earlier in the show. I think Langer in most ways is a good coach, but I think in this way he's probably been saying you've got to put a price on your wicket and head down and um, don't take any risks. And I think it's the wrong thing to do, as also evidenced by Burns in the second innings in Melbourne. The one time he's got some runs is when he played with Freedom. Yeah, I think some credit has to go to India's bowlers. Oh, yeah. They, they've bowled exceptionally well. And, and I do like the fact that Australia do put a high price on their wickets because only a few years ago, Australia had the collapse problem that when they'd lose one wicket, they would lose a lot. So I do like the fact that some players go out there and they want to occupy the crease for a little while. So, yeah, I'm not, a, not, not a, against that. I'm not advocating slogging. But I, you know, I prefer my crashes in in fast motion rather than my my collapses in fast motion rather than in slow motion. Watch the Renegades then every night. <laughs> All right. So from the perfect pitch, cricket pitch one hundred and one. How can CA sack half its workforce and still have so much cash for crap fireworks displays, etc. At the BBL, <laughs> it's an interesting point. I, I don't think they're, they're they're completely related, but but I will say that sometimes I felt that money has been wasted on the fireworks at the BBL when they've been played during the day and they're letting off fireworks or they've got those sort of little things by the side that they're always um, letting off the little flames. Uh, I like the razzle-dazzle of the BBL, but sometimes maybe they go just a minor step too far. But I don't think you can sort of uh, draw a correlation between sacking staff and then promoting the game. All right, got a question from Mel Taylor on Twitter. Why do fielders consistently throw to the keeper on the half volley? It was our junior cricket coach's pet hate. Either throw it to the keeper on the full or on the bounce, never at their feet. Hashtag can't let it go. Yeah, I've been thinking that a little bit as well. And I think there was um, Payne actually swore at one of his players when he got one on the half volley uh, the other day. I, I think it's partially that they they are kind of keen to throw it in on one bounce to scuff up the ball a little bit and that sometimes then they just get the timing a little bit wrong. Yeah, I don't think any keeper likes the ball coming in on the half volley, so I think that's usually an accident. But there is a lot of, um, you know, they will aim for the pitch that's next to the, the the pitch they're using and try and, you know, hit the ball there to scuff it up, as you say. And sometimes I guess the umpires are saying, you got to keep the ball up. you got to keep the ball up. So they, they might throw it just short of the keeper and say, well, you know, it was an accident. Um, but, yeah, definitely Mel Taylor. I think most keepers are with you. Kevin Marshall, 35. 
Are India difficult guests seems to be issues every time they tour? I don't think they're difficult guests, um, Kevin, but they certainly know that they are the most powerful cricket nation in the world and they wield that power when necessary. Uh, but overall, I, apart from obviously the, the famous incidences or the infamous incidences, incidences like the monkey gate, I think India are pretty good guests and I love having them here. Martin Lawrence has written in, what is your New Year's cricket wish, Paul? Uh, my New Year's cricket wish would be for the World T20 in October to be able to be held in India with full crowds because the vaccine has been applied so well throughout the world that COVID is a thing of the past. Yeah, my New Year's cricket wish is for Matt Wade test century in the next couple of test matches. So we're on the same wavelength there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want like world, the pandemic to end and uh, it's all to move on. I just want to wait 100. <laughs> All right. Um, this is from Mitch, Mitch Doyle, 13. How bad is England? Not even just their side, the whole place in general. Rubbish. Oh, this, uh, this is for me, clearly. This is Mitch just... This is just, your burner account, just, isn't it? You know, he's just throwing one down the middle for me to hit a home run. I mean, it's hard. I, I don't mind some English people, but the whole place... Like your, your wife, for example? Yeah, she's great. Um, but the whole place is pretty rubbish. It's cramped. Most of the people are miserable. Um, it's bad weather most of the year. But all that aside, I have to say it, it is, if not the best place in the world to watch cricket, it, it, it's right there because they have beautiful cricket grounds. You can talk about cricket with all the fans. They love the banter between the Poms and the Aussies. So they're, they're good fun. But, yeah, terrible place, miserable people, avoid at all costs. I disagree completely. Um, it's my favourite country to visit to watch cricket. It's also my favourite country to visit. Um, apart from Australia, I think I have more affection for England than any country in the world. I think the people are wonderful. I think the place is spectacularly good. They've had a very, very tough year with Corona and Brexit and everything else. Hopefully things improve for them. But, yeah, if, if you suddenly said the world is normal and you can get a, a ticket to anywhere – to have a holiday, London's the first place I'm going. Yeah, probably New York for me. Um, and speaking of uh, New York, um, we've got a message here from Jamie Harrison. And his question is, has USA Cricket made a deal with the devil by ceding operational control to an Indian-owned firm that has no incentive to develop the grassroots game in America? So I did some research sort of after this um, message from Jamie and it appears that USA Cricket have gone into partnership with a, a group called ACE or ACE that is um, being bankrolled by the Times of India Media Group and they are reportedly set to invest a billion dollars into the game in the USA and part of that will be starting its own T20 competition. So no solution is ever perfect but i think if you've got someone willing to invest that sort of capital into the game in america it can't really be a bad thing finally we have a question from anthony bieniak i have a question how bloody good is test cricket well anthony you're obviously going to get a resounding agreement from paul and i on this but i have to say that a big bash double header is as exciting if not maybe just a little bit more exciting than one day's test cricket. Um, I just do love a, a big bash doubleheader. Four teams, all the action. 
it's as long as almost as long as a test match day. So yeah, love both. Oh, we just got a, a message from Rohit uh, Ray, and he's like, "Hey, Oz Cricket Pod, can't wait for your next podcast." A request though, can you mention that Australia might never play a red ball test after that loss? Um, and that's come about because I tweeted out when India were bowled out for 36 at Adelaide that they might never play a pink ball test again. It's a good comeback for Rohit. Well, well said. Interesting that everyone was saying that, that they'll never play another pink ball test, as though it was factually certain. At least you had the good grace to say it's a possibility. Of course they'll play another pink ball test at Adelaide. And it's also worth pointing out that Australia weren't bowled out for like their lowest ever test score at the MCG. You know, we were resoundingly beaten, a great performance by India, but Australia, you know, weren't bowled out for (laughs) 30-odd. We're running out of time, but it's been great to catch up with you again for the podcast. Um, And uh, thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. There's going to be a few changes to the show this year. Paul and I are working on some different content some extra content and so stay tuned for that but i would say 2021 you'll you'll quick and unfiltered will be evolving can't wait can't wait minutes all right listeners well that's it for the first episode of 2021 and we'll be back next week with another show sports social podcast network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time (gasps) no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.